0: Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Damien Hine, children's writer and teacher. Hello, what have you been up to recently?
1: Hi, hi. Um, as I say, my name's my name's Damien Hine, and I'm an epic fantasy novelist. So I've been enjoying the uh, the release of my three my epic fantasy trilogy, the Hearthmark Chronicles, which was released last year. Um, I'm currently working on a new book series, which is coming along really, really well. And I'm enjoying that very much. Um, and uh, and last week, my first audiobook was uh, released, which super was. Cool. Um, yeah super super cool and uh, and such a wonderful process um often um pu- often an author will just be told here is your audio artist but this artist was his name was eric brian moore and he really wanted to get all the names right of all the different fantasy places so we had conversations where we would talk about that um with the publisher going between us and and also talking great lengths about what all the different characters would sound like so i'm really happy with how the audiobooks come out um, and it's amazing. been quite amazing to come together
0: yeah do you send me the link to that uh, and we'll put it in the show notes that that sounds fabulous yeah. yeah it's one of the most irritating things when listening to an audiobook when um words you know the, the words are mangled names are mangled it, it's mm. so annoying so i'm really really glad you had that experience yeah. that's that's fabulous so tell us a little bit more about this this new um series that you're writing
1: it's a it's an idea that I came up with back in 2016. There's a television show called Hunted, which I which I love, and it's it's set, it's a real a real world TV show, reality TV show where where teams of people have to go on the run in the UK and evade capture for uh, normally 28 days. They just re- very recently did a new series with with celebrities being on the run, and I was thinking, you know, often when you watch that show, you think, it, what would I do if I was going on the run? And somehow this idea of going on the run um, merged with something completely different, which is uh, the film Jumanji with uh, Robin Williams in it, where there's the board game and things coming out. So the way that I'm describing my new book series to people is uh, Jumanji meets Jason Bourne.
0: Fabulous.
1: Yeah, it's great fun. Um, So what happens is, uh, is there's a father and his adoptive daughter that's kind of a really strong theme in there about adoption and and the two their, their growing relationship she comes across this board game and not knowing what's going to happen she throws the dice and a full-size fire-breathing dragon appears in the center of london and um and of course if you can imagine if that started sort of thing happened in real life well to hanks would be arriving at the scene fire engine should be arriving at the scene and at this scene there's a secret government organization which appears Whose job it is to hunt down the people who play these games. And so throughout the book, um, they're trying to survive the things coming out of the game. They're trying to evade capture as they go all around the UK on this great big adventure set in a world, and and their relationship as father and daughter is growing. And and then just for a for kind of for good measure, there's a mysterious female samurai who comes in from another world to join them on the adventure.
0: That sounds absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. That's wonderful. So the book that you've chosen is absolutely one of my favourites. I think it's one of the best books I've actually ever read. Uh, I think Mm. it's totally wonderful. And it's Wolf Brother by Michelle Paver. So can you summarise the plot for us?
1: Yes, so uh, Wolf Brother... Is, is one of my favorite books I came across it when I was a teenager and I've stuck with the books since um, in fact if you were to look behind me you could see I've got 13 different books by by that by Michelle Paver um, and it takes place in the Stone Age following a character called Torak or Toruk or Torak depending on how you choose to pronounce <laughs> um, and at the beginning of the book he's traveling with his father and then um, I don't want to give away too many spoilers but he, there's an attack. A, a bear attacks um, and um, and he finds himself on his own um, but somehow he manages to build a relationship with a, a wolf and they're going to support each other and help each other and they're able to communicate between this boy um, and this wolf who are in the wild surviving together and, um, and the story goes on and he, he meets a female kind of hunter character who's called Called Wren, and it's all about their adventures together. Um, I think I'll probably probably pause it there mm-hmm. so I don't give away too much. But it, it really is re- fantastic. And um, from there, she wrote a, a series of six books, and then the last few years has come back to do a new trilogy, which has tapped on the end.
0: Yes, I haven't read the new one yet. It's called Viper's Daughter, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't read that one
1: yet. She's so but... actually released two new ones. Oh, really? So her recent one i have here is called skin taker wow. um so there was viper's daughter and and then there's um skin taker um and i'm i'm currently reading the latest one which is really i'm finding very interesting she wrote it during the time of covid and i don't want to give anything away but something happens early in the story which puts everyone under threat and it's quite interesting kind of seeing how her writing is different, having been written in, in lockdown and the things around the world that have affected the writing.
0: Yeah. So you, you read it first when you were a teenager. Um, mm. how, how did you come across it?
1: So I think I, I must have been about 14 at the time. Um, and my, my mother has always been really passionate about me reading um, and really encouraged me as a reader when I was young so she was always in the late in the in the local bookshop and saying oh i've got a boy who's this age and into these sort of things what can you recommend so it was probably one of those books that she would have come to me and said oh how you have a go at this one um and uh, and sometimes i looked at book covers and, and rejected them just by the book cover mm-hmm. so i ended up being one of the first people to have Harry Potter, but because i just saw a, a train on the front and a boy in glasses I like, oh it's rubbish and then later <laughs> well how big my mistake was and um so but I I did pick up this one and I read it quite quickly and I remember really enjoying it at that age and I've read it since um and all the follow-on books as well so yeah stuck with me for years
0: I think it was I mean I'm I'm a lot older than you so I mean I would have been in my 20s when I first read it but I think that the 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 cover is the covers of the book are very very good and I think it's quite interesting that they haven't the design hasn't really changed, in you know, no, since that's... the books were first published, because it looks like a cave painting, doesn't it? Yes. And it's yeah. it's so sort of tells you everything about the setting just from that that cover. It's so clever um, mm. the way that the, the covers work with the books. I mean, the first the cover is, the first one is a sort of ochery colour, but yes, the other books have got different colors but I, th- I think that's I think it's really really good really clever yeah and as you say the book opens with this explosive chapter so how how do you feel with the effects uh, what what were the effects of that first chapter on you when you were first reading it can you remember
1: uh, I I remember being slightly confused when I first read it because it and if it for me it began so quickly i was s i was wrestling to to go on and understand what had happened, so I had to go back and and take my time reading it um also because i sometimes what I find with um because it's written in this in the stone age there's sometimes things that I had to familiarize myself with of different things um but once i once I understood what was happening, it was quite moving um we um perhaps i should say what happens yes go ahead yeah yeah so um so in the opening chapter the opening few scenes um toric is with his father and they're attacked by a bear and um and his father is killed and it, it's suddenly this figure who was who was protecting him and looking out for him and in this dangerous world where where you have to scratch your survival out of the land um, is, is gone and and Turok at this age probably 12 13 I think it mentions at one point about about that age um and he suddenly it seems like he's not going to be able to survive um and it's incredibly difficult so so there's the shock there's the explosive action there's the, there's the loss and and grief of, of losing his father and and then all of a sudden he's in this big wide world just a young boy struggling to survive and, and so the stakes are really high from the very beginning. And
0: the the first chapter and the first chapter also gives us a really good um, insight into the world where Torek lives, not not just the physical world but also the cultural world because we discover that unlike everybody else, Torek and his father are without a clan. Yes. This, is yeah. a, this is a this is an environment where really if you are not you, you rely on other people to help you survive and they have nobody. So Torek is totally alone. And um also that there's something really uncanny about this bear because this is not normal bear behavior that mm. this bear is is just going around randomly killing stuff. It's not killing for pray it's not killing to eat it's just on a rampage a, a murderous rampage and we go on and find out more about this and this is where the fantasy aspects of the book come in I think is that yeah. it's through the kind of the belief system uh that Torex uh people have about how the world works and about souls and about the the great spirit that that uh is their kind of main deity. But it's also a, a, a pantheistic world, isn't it? That they they believe that there's a spirit in everything. And, uh, and that's a lot about how they interact with the world is, is through that, that belief system, which I think um, Michelle Paver does so well. And there is there is a kind of epilogue to the book, which is about the research that she carried out, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so, so do you want to tell us a little bit about about the research or what we know about the research that Michelle Paver carried out?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, Michelle Paver is fantastic in her research um, because she, she her her research is is so thorough that actual historians of the era in which the books are written have have said that her books you can you can read them to get a realistic depiction of what the stone age was like you've touched on um so many things i think one to me one of the most interesting things about the books is all of the different clans um that's um it's almost like it she sets out to introduce us to a new group of people in every single book and their belief systems their their way of life are all completely different um and and fascinating so in in the first book we come across the raven Plan and, and later on others more in, get introduced um, and it's almost like each one gives us a, a window into what it might have been like to live at those in those times really fascinating to read
0: and it's set in what is now sort of Scandinavia so it's Obviously so, yes yeah and so it's quite it's a very varied landscape and and in the other books Ren and Torek travel quite far and wide so they go um they're they starting off in forest aren't they and so and there's a forest which has got there's uh, salmon in the streams and other kind of other fish in the streams they mm. hunt for deer uh, which yep. they use for everything uh, but then later on they go um into kind of right up to um the, the the Arctic, don't they? They go to the Arctic Circle and they're they're um with the I uh, can't remember what clan that is. Walrus clan maybe but they learn about things like how to shield their eyes from stone snow glare and yes. the kind of um technology that they're going to need in order to sort of survive in that landscape. It's it's so so interesting. And and her um her research is not just in the past, is it? It's also she's sort of spent time with wolves, and uh, yes. she's met and um, nomadic peoples uh, to find out about how they uh, their their kind of cultural history, about how they their forebears survived. I just find it really interesting. And what I think she does is so good is there's no info dumping. Is there? It no. all comes about through Torak's interaction with the the world. So we see him. Um, killing a deer we see how how he uses the technology available for him so very sharp stone knives and so on to skin it to clean it and what he uses each bit for I just yeah I I love it I think it's it's so interesting and such a rich description Mm -hmm. and as a writer I mean what what do you kind of what do you take from from that the way that she introduces these worlds,
1: I think. I think there's a few different things. I think, um, as a fantasy author myself, um, in a in a way, you can get away with doing less research because you can make up the rules, and you can, and so long as you're consistent within your own rules, I, you can you can do what you like. But I think one thing which makes which helps to keep the suspense in her books is is the because it's set in the real world. She's done a lot of research. She's able to make it very realistic. So, for instance, in my in my first book, there's a whole section where our our characters um, set out into the desert and have to be surviving in the desert for weeks as they're on their journey. And so, before I wrote that section, I did a huge amount of research. Well, how would you, how would someone survive? Um, in the desert. How is it done now? How was it done in the past? What, what methods would be available to people who have this level of technology? Um, and uh, and then there was, a, a, later on in the, in the third book, uh, there's a part where they go into a frozen area, deeply cold, um, and I was actually able to travel to, to Iceland um, to do some research for that, which was uh, an incredible experience. Um so i think i think one thing that we can see with michelle is um the deeper research we can go the more it makes the worlds come to life and the more the the world is alive the more our characters can be alive in it the deeper the story can become the more layers there will be so yeah. sometimes sometimes research can maybe feel laborious or might take longer than we want but it is worth doing, and it does add a huge amount um to our books.
0: I think a lot of it is about knowing when you're going to use that research, isn't it? so like mm. you know you're gonna you're going to be sort of talking about well, this is you know these characters are in this environment, so they knew to do x thing, you know um so mm. like it's really cold in a desert at night, so you know, that you will know that, that the characters are going to be concerned about keeping warm at night, for example, but you don't necessarily need to talk about that. And, t- and, and, you know, while they're planning their journey, for example, yes, yeah. but it's just like, Oh, by the way, as you know, Bob, we're going mm. into the desert. <laughs> and yeah. It's really cold at night, but you, you can do that in, in sort of different ways. Can't you? And I think how Michelle does it is that's so clever is it's, at the point that this information is necessary. And sometimes Torek has this information himself, but there's other really realistic points at which he wouldn't have this information himself. So for example, because he's not part of the clan system, when he meets the Raven clan, and he sort of has a sort of trial, a trial by combat with the Raven, one of the Raven clan peoples, it's because he uh, he doesn't know that he has broken um, a rule mm. and has, has done something that is criminal by the standards of the Raven clan. And that's the way we get information about how the clan system works. And I think that's that's so clever because, um, I, I mean, we find out later on why he and his father are, are clanless. Um, mm. And... Uh, that kind of sense of who you belong to is so important in the books. Um, and, you know, the way that the the kind of clan belonging is is marked out, and it's by having, you know, part of your clan guardian, um, so like raven feathers for the raven clan and a scrap of wolf fur for the, the wolf clan and so on. Um, and I, I think that that she does that in a way that makes the setting believable um rather than to kind of show off you know show off all her knowledge so she's actually managed to cut out some of that information too you Mm. know she's she's obviously had to kind of kill some of her darlings i
1: think yes
0: as they say
1: i think in the epilogue of the latest book she mentions um possible to take the juice from a, from a slug or, or some creature like that and use it to heal a wound.
0: Oh, wow!
1: And she was really, really wanting to find a way to put that into the book, but unfortunately, she couldn't. Yeah. So maybe we'll come across that in in the next book.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh, that's I can see that. That yeah, because they're very sticky, aren't they? So it'd be almost like a kind of a way of protecting a wound.
1: Yeah, and sealing it together.
0: I don't intend to actually try this for myself. <laughs> I have to say, slugs kind of disgust me; they're <laughs> revolting. <laughs> yeah,
1: better to go to hospital these days.
0: <laughs> exactly, I think
1: and so. In, in Torax world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, if, if do you think uh, is there a clan that you think you'd you'd want to belong to yourself?
1: I think. Um there are a few different ones which which come to mind i found um later on in the series I come across the wolf clan um and to me they were they were very very cool um and i really enjoyed my time with them um w- wolves are fascinating creatures i've i've used in, in my books as well i think i would possibly and if i had to choose between them all i might go with the raven clan um yeah. The, the clan leader, um, whose name is uh, Finn um seems like such a warm, fatherly, welcoming presence um, that to be in that clan just feels like you'd be wrapped up in in warmth of love and care. And and I don't think anyone would not want to be there.
0: Darlan, their shaman's quite scary though, isn't she? She's, yeah. she's a bit, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. probably scary because she's got the kind of yeah. the sight and and so yeah but she's a little bit scary actually yes i think i would choose wolf clan as well but wolf is probably my second favorite character in the book anyway mm-hmm. and yes. i think one of the things that's really worth mentioning is how the story is told how parts of the story are told through wolf's eyes mm. do want yes. explain a little bit about that
1: so um. There's different perspectives that we see the story coming through. So we we have a lot of time with Torak, good amount of time with Ren. Um one of the more interesting perspectives is Wolf, because um, wh- um, hu- humans will will say knife mm. or or snow, but Wolf doesn't have that language. So um, so Michelle Paver was really imaginative in the way that she would describe things, where it would seem as if that's the way a wolf would describe it and, and still make it make sense to us mm-hmm. um so i forget the exact words but when when wolf comes across snow he says it's the bright that bites cold yeah. something something very close to that um and and you you think about those words and you or you know what that will be but he doesn't have the word snow um and so it comes through in that way but then we also he, he also, the way that he, his senses work with smell and hearing and sight, we also experience the world in a different way because he'll hear things and be aware of things that the human characters are not. Yeah,
0: and... he, I like the word fast wet for the river mm. as well. And he calls a knife uh, a claw, doesn't he?
1: Yes. Which makes
0: total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does what a claw would do. Um, yeah, I, I think I think those are called kennings. I think I it's a long time since I have taught poetry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's and the way that he, the way that he perceives um, Torek because he calls him his pack brother, but he mm. also thinks his pack brother's a little bit slow. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not very good at being a wolf. Because um, yeah, he can't get some of the the vocalisation that wolves do. So when he yips and yowls, so vocalisation, it's like he misses out some parts of verbs. Yeah, uh, and that, that also he he thinks yeah. he's, he's sort of he's a bit sl- he's slow moving and he's not very perceptive. And so wolf, it's quite a symbiotic, healthy symbiotic relationship, isn't it? um yeah, in that yeah. you know they they look after each other and they're pack brothers heartily recommend um wolf wolf brother and the whole series actually to to anyone who uh is interested in in the stone age but also really really good an exciting mm. fantasy adventure um my nephew's just started reading it he's, oh, he's four, yeah he's 14 nearly 14 so yeah he's yeah. he's uh he's he's um, enjoying it as well and i think it would be a really brilliant graphic novel i i think it would uh, mm. I, I really i'd love to see it as a graphic novel i think it'd be wonderful
1: i can really imagine that that'd be fantastic
0: yeah yeah i, mean, I have to be a very very good illustrator but yeah, mm. yeah. maybe in the style of cave paintings i yeah I am available for consultation for any graphic novel uh, companies <laughs> that, that want to discuss this idea so shall we talk about my uh my choice then which is asha and the spirit bird um and kind of people who've listened to this podcast before will uh know that i um i really Myself and Alison Scott really, really enjoyed um, Tamarind and the star of Ishtar. So I'll read the blurb. And because I'm not at home, I'm going to have to read the blurb from a photo on my phone. Asher lives in the foothills of the Himalayas. Money is tight and she misses her papa who works in the city. When he suddenly stops sending his wages, a ruthless moneylender ransacks their home and her mother talks of leaving. From her den in the mango tree, Asha makes a pact with her best friend, Jivan, to find her father and make things right. But the journey is dangerous. They must cross the world's highest mountains and face hunger, tiredness, and even snow leopards. And yet, Asha has an unshakable sense that the spirit bird of her grandmother, her Nanaji, will be watching over her. So... What
1: did you think? So I was, for me, this was quite a different novel to what I normally read. Um, for, for one thing, it's set today or, or close to today. Um, so yeah, it's also set in a completely different culture. So this is all set in uh, India. And, um, and thankfully, at the, at the beginning of the book, we have a little glossary of hindi and punjabi words because frequently throughout the uh, book sh- the author um Binder will be talking about things that people are wearing eating and drinking and um i was uh, really glad this the glossary is here because i was every so often i would flip back and i would remember oh yes that that's what that was and um and it also meant that rather than slowing herself down and having to explain things all the time she was able to, to just write the book and and write the story because i'm sure there'll be many people who are more familiar with these things than than i am people in india probably pick up this book and and just read it as if it's a newspaper and you know they understand all the language right away um i and and then as the story went on I i really enjoyed it um, I think I, I got really invested um, in in Asha and her search for her uh, her father and the long journey she goes on um, and moments where it seems like uh, her friends um, Jivan might be um, close to dying uh, there's another time where um, they come across a very very nasty group of people who seem to be kidnapping children and forcing them into labour um, so it's um fascinating story i really enjoyed it
0: yeah i did too and i i liked i like you i like the fact that that um jaspinder bilan just uses hindi and udu words without sort of really stopping and and thinking that she might need to explain them so i, I agree that mm. the, the glossary is really helpful and i keep reading these books and wishing that they had been published when I was still teaching primary Mm. children myself because I can imagine a lot of the children that I taught would absolutely gobble these books up you know children of of, um Indian and um Punjabi descent but also other children who who were growing up in a culturally diverse uh, area of London where I taught the longest time Uh, and actually in Yorkshire I taught in uh, areas where there were very high numbers of Urdu speakers and I think those children would have loved it too and it's a wonderful thing Mm. to not be writing only for the sensibilities of of, um, monolingual um, English speakers and and be able to think well yeah you know people will just pick it up you know there's no no need to, to worry about it so much like Michelle Paver kind of trusts readers to kind mm. of understand the world she's living in through the way she's described it, Jasmine de Bilan does the, the same thing. So do you see links with Wolf Brother in, in this book?
1: Yes. Um, but I think before I get onto that, is it all right if I just touch on some of the things that you've oh, been yeah. saying? Yeah, go so for it. I think it. it's actually really, really important. Um And it's something that we're seeing more and more in the books which are being released now, is that there's more um, flavour of different cultures um, from around the world. So for for a long time, fantasy has been largely Western-based. But now we're seeing more um, fantasy books inspired by Asian culture and different cultures all around the world. Um, I was in a classroom a little while ago um, of secondary school in North London and there was 25 30 students there and I said just put your hand up if um if one of you has a family member or you speak a different language or you have a connection to another country other than England um and and nearly the whole class put up their hand and as we went round, um and there was we were saying oh this person you've got a connection to Poland and here and here and here." there was almost 20 different countries in that one single classroom being represented so the world is changing and changing fast uh, with the internet and how easy it is for people to move. Um, I think possibly a generation ago, an author like this may, may have been that they were writing books of this quality, but wouldn't have had this kind of platform. Yeah. So it's so good that it's it's happening now. Um, so back back to your question <laughs> uh, of, of connections. I think on the, on the one hand, they're very, very different books. One set in the Stone Age, another set today. Um, but they do have a few things in common. So both books are about young characters um, who go on adventures connected to um, to their father. Uh, they will um, be on their own having to survive at a, a young age. There's one other character with them. In Torek's case, it's Ren. In Asha's case, it's Jivan, um, and uh, there's also in both books there's a sense of um, spirituality. It's so almost watching over the characters. In uh, in in world, there's a strong belief in spirits, and everything has a spirit. And and there's they also believe in demons as well. And then in Asha, she she believes that there's a a bird. Um, I believe it's called pronounced a Lamagaya bird. That is the reincarnated uh, form of her grandmother, uh, who appears at significant points in the book and seems to be watching over her, looking after her, helping her in the next step of um, of her journey. Um, and um, Jeevan, at the beginning is he's a bit um, skeptical of this whole thing. But by the end of the book, he's more on board. He's seen enough things that he believes, "Oh, yeah, there really is something going on here, and this is special. Something what we're seeing here." Um, and, and I think the last thing which I think I'm seeing is in 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 common between the two is the, the theme of family. We we touched on clans in in the in the world of um, Wolf Brother and asha she she's ultimately she's doing everything for her family she she's trying to look after her family because of difficult things that are happening
0: yeah and i think the um i mean while while there are there are beautiful and exciting and wonderful aspects of of asha's life and her village is described with such kind of love and care but there's also a lot of danger i mean one of the things that I don't think this is a spoiler because it's absolutely in the first chapter. And Mm. again, this is another link, I think, to to Wolf Brother is the way that the first chapter puts you right there Mm. in the action. And that is that, um, I mean, we know that uh, because Asha's dad has has vanished, we don't know what's happened to him. Uh, He's not sending money anymore. So her mother has had to go to a moneylender And the money lender is the woman called Mina, who comes with her her henchmen and that kind of financial danger that the family are in. And we see this kind of financial danger in the way that money, the lack of money is such a big problem to Asha throughout the book. Um, And so there are kind of helpful and loving characters in the book, but there's also this big sense of the danger that they are in from financial exploitation, isn't there? And that that sort of, you know, the the physical danger that Torak is in is also there, but it's also a lot more the kind of, yeah, the the, the kind of the, the lack of power that Asha has and the lack of power that her family has financially is, is such a big deal. And um, I think that's that's very, very interesting. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. We were talking about...
0: Yes, absolutely that. Um, you've touched on the kind of animism and spirituality in both of the books. Um, Shall we, we sort of have a chat about how... That plays out in both worlds. How how do we how are we introduced to spirituality in Torek's world?
1: Yes, so in the in the in the first few books of um, the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness, which is the name of the series, it's more of a um, philosophical so uh so he's coming across the ideas and he strongly believes them himself and whenever he kills an animal needs to let it to rest so that its soul can 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 be at peace um and there's these beliefs which surround the whole world and there's also these forces of darkness that rise um with who seem to have the power of of demons and they're very dark and um diabolical kind of group they come across called the soul eaters Um, And then as we go through the books, um, we find that Torek finds this spiritual power in himself where he's able to go into creatures um, and at one point a tree as well um, in, in the world around him. And he's it's fascinating the way that these creatures are written, because if he goes into, say, an otter, then it will be completely described in the way that an otter would see the world and we'll get a sense of the size get a sense of how it's able to move through the water um and then at another point if he goes into a polar bear it's very very different so we get a sense of the scope and the power and the brutal blood hunger of this creature and uh, and depending on the creature turret might be able to easily control it or it might be that the creature almost seems to control him and he might lose himself in this experience um so so the spirituality is is prevalent in all the books Um i wouldn't say it's necessarily it's, it's helpful but there's also a sense where it can be dangerous there's a darker side to it and people who are playing on that dark side um and there's and in the power that he has he has to be quite careful in its use because sometimes it can overpower him and he has to be quite careful
0: yeah and it's not it it's a belief that is not about a benevolent um a benevolent spirit is it that that it's not like you know god as as in a christian god because the the work if he if the people of the clans don't respect the spirits of and souls of the animals and the trees and the other things that they need for their technology there is a feel that something very bad might happen and there is yeah. one book which is the book where there's the really bad sickness that comes and it's a world sickness
1: i think that's the sixth book
0: yes and it's about the world uh, the lack of balance within the world. Yeah. That something yes. something has gone wrong to upset yeah. the natural order, and Ren and Torek have to go and find out what that is and um, and try and help. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very interesting um, a very interesting way of thinking about the world, and and in particular about kind of contemporary concerns about ecology and conservation. And, and and the kind of um exploitation over exploitation of natural resources um mm. so I do think it's it's a book that while it is while it is about the ancient world it certainly addresses contemporary mm. concerns and contemporary issues doesn't it yes yeah um and in the Asher in the the spirit bird um we go to the Himalayas, mm. and we go to the source of the Ganges, and then, again, there's also there's a point where um, Asher and Jivan jump in, have to jump into the source of the Ganges in order to kind of express their devotion mm. and uh, to give thanks. Um, and, and also the, the mango um, stone, that Asha has, yeah. uh, that Asha has saved from the mango tree in her her house, uh, and from her garden. And you know the way that she, the way that the mango sprouts mm. and looks like it's dying is dependent on how well they are doing in their own um, in their own journey, which is I think mm. is a a really it's clever. Really, you know, it's not just the there's the spirit bird but but also that and that kind of link to the natural world as, as well
1: yeah yeah and there's at some points she seems to have uh almost visions of what she needs to do and where she needs to go and, and who, who to talk to next um and it seems to help her out and at first as I mentioned even's quite um skeptical you know this is silly how can you trust these visions but then the more that they seem to guide them in the right direction and help them the more he starts to be caught up with it as well
0: yeah he becomes he becomes more open to the possibility that there might be something beyond the rational everyday world doesn't he he's he's a bit more um a bit more open to, to things possibly beyond his own experiences of the world, the material world. Yeah. Um I think it I think another interesting point which I didn't think about before is is that we've been talking about Chronicles of ancient darkness as, as a series. But mm-hmm. um this Ashwin the Spirit Bird was was just first book. Her second book was um, Tamarinda, the Star of Ishtar, and there's a third book, Arti and the Blue-Faced God, mm. which I really want to read. I, I haven't managed to get my hands on it yet. Um, but these are all standalone. Now, I think that's, that's quite an interesting phenomenon
1: um, mm.
0: because for a very long time, standalone books in fantasy, particularly in children's fantasy and adventure, have not really been a thing, have they?
1: Mm. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting that she's chosen that because when you can do a series, there's, it opens up a lot of opportunities for you because if you can get someone to enjoy the first book, well, then they'll want to know what happens with those characters later on. And, and then on the end of the second book, you can put an enormous cliffhanger where they say, oh, well, I can't <laughs> possibly stop now. Um, and so you can hook people from book to book and you, and there's also a chance of telling a larger story with characters who develop in many different ways and um, and who you get to know over a great period of time. So I don't think it is very common these days um, to have single books. And it'll be interesting to see um, if she carries on doing single books or if she branches out into maybe a mini-series or, or what she chooses to do. Um, but I, I firmly believe that... Um, it's, as authors it's not we shouldn't try and chase trends too much we should write what we want to write and make it make it kind of opens people make it something that's going to be um well received as much as we can but if she feels that single books are her her medium if that's her her way of going then i will completely spot her in it um it might be that it's slightly more difficult, but it, if the, if that's the way that her creativity expresses herself, then power to her.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I agree with you about not chasing trends in particular because it takes so long to write and edit a book and get it published. That if you're thinking, oh, there's a really big thing about unicorns right now. I'm going to write a series about unicorns, and I'm then going to be selling the film rights, and I'm going to be as rich as J.K. Rowling. By the time your book is actually published, and in, you know, hmm. in particular, by the time the second book is published, it's very likely that people have moved on, and they're all into I don't know, magical lions now, and and so it's yeah, it, it's a pointless, a pointless thing, really. The,
1: the, uh, the One exception, as people say, is dragons that will always be popular. Oh,
0: yeah dragons we've always loved dragons I I loved um there was a a series called Green Smoke uh yeah. when I was uh, by Rosemary Manning when I I mean it was wasn't new when I was a little girl but I absolutely loved green uh I absolutely loved Green Smoke such good books yeah
1: mm.
0: and in fact I wrote my own version
1: Oh fantastic Yeah,
0: yeah I've been yeah. I've been writing fan fiction before it was a thing <laughs> I think I was about <laughs> when I wrote my version of Green Smoke,
1: yeah. Speaking of uh, fan fiction, I've d- I did a bit myself. When I was growing up, I um I loved the Toy Story films, so I ended up writing a few adventures for Buzz Lightyear traveling through space. And then when there was three years between the fourth and the fifth Harry Potter book, ended up writing one of my own. They went with J.K. Rowling's one in the end. So I think I should be going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you didn't post your uh, Buzz Lightyear fanfic off to Pixar, did you? Someone seems no, to have it up. No. Yeah, well, looking to make
1: a film about Buzz Lightyear as an actual Space Ranger now. So maybe yes. my childhood dreams will come true.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be going. I'm going to be going and seeing it with my stepson. I'm sure. So yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, thank you very much. Um, damien
1: where where can listeners find you online yes so uh, best place to find me is to, to search up my name uh, Damien Hines d-a-m-i-e-n H-I-N-E uh, put in my name on Amazon you'll find all my books uh, I'm also on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and even YouTube um, oh. if you look me up I'll put just put my name again you'll find find all of my material um, if you're looking for the audiobook of my first book that is on audible you can also find it through amazon you've got the option of ebook paperback and right next to it audiobook so that's well worth looking into um actually i know someone who um listens to audiobooks while he's swimming so he'll be listening to it in the pool so if you're going on an airplane or anytime somewhere that might be worth picking up and i also travel and speak at um conferences and uh, travel and speak at schools so if you ever want to book me in i'll be very happy to hear from you.
0: and we've got you're going to be at eastercon aren't you so a lot of a yes. lot of listeners um are eastercon people so we'll look forward to seeing you there hey thank you for listening to episode 17 of fantasy book swap you can find us on twitter at fantasy swap Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap, or you can email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can, as it helps satisfy my vanity. Thanks to Steve baker for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye!